Alan of the train and you're listening to the Foxy Podcast.
Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota, and here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 54 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there. Started off the show with a track from the Philadelphia-based duo Good Area from a forthcoming release of theirs called Macbeth. This release, following solid efforts out on the reputable Kai and Hansen labels, is due out later in the year on Vitrine. The private imprint started in 2013 by Good Area members Alan Mozick and Gabby Lasansi. The label has been issuing other works from other like-minded artists dealing in primitive electronics, tape manipulation, sound poetry, and noise. And on this episode of the show, we'll be speaking with Alan about the work that he's been doing with Vitrine, along with the sound work that he's doing under the name No Intention and with Good Area. And we'll also be playing a bunch of selections from the Vitrine catalog, including some new and forthcoming releases and a few other things from Philadelphia-related artists. But before we get into that interview, I'm going to start things off with a track from the latest three-legged race tape out on Vitrine called Rope Commercial Volume 2. This is a piece called X Locksmith.
So with the recent map of the interior compilation that you guys had put out uh, late last year, uh, you called it in the liner notes, a love letter to the heyday of mail art culture and a promise that such international friendship is still thriving across postal channels and on the internet. Um, so I was wondering, was, was being an active uh, participant in this culture, I guess kind of on several levels, sort of what compelled you to start up Vitrine? Um, okay, so yeah, I was thinking about, thinking about your question. And uh, okay, the thing is, all right, well, like, um, thanks for, I guess, considering me an active participant uh, within tape culture, experimental music, what have you. But I guess first and foremost, I do, I see myself as a listener. But um, I think listening, particularly within like subculture, male art culture, it's uh, an assertive action. So listening can be a, it's a statement of intent. Uh, I'm a very obsessive person. It's like whenever I enter my bedroom, the first thing I do is I always like go over my stereo and I press play, and, you know, play a tape, I play a record, I play a CD. And I see, like, uh, like listening, it's more of an entry in rather than like an escape from. Um, so, like I said, I'm an obsessive person, and I, I devote wide swaths of my time to researching music, listening to music, interrogating, like, subterranean connections between sounds. So the label is a means to further investigate the music that inspires me. And, um... When when the label started up, uh, Gabby and I started it as a means to provide a greater to uh, context for our work. Uh, I didn't want a good area to simply exist as like an anomaly of sound, but to tether it to like a legacy of tape culture and experimental music, but also and also to engage with the contemporary climate. Um, like I refer to the label as private. Uh, it relates to my personal life and my life as a listener. Um, so, like, Gabby and I, we put out our first batch, uh, VTO1, which was um, Dilettante Cassette, and VTO2, which was the No Intention, Debris Music. That was very, like, just private, just the two of us. It was that sort of nuclear core. Mm -hmm. And then um, the VTO3 and VTO4, which is Safe House and Gene Pick, we kind of moved out, and that was really important to us, very important to me, to sort of um, to incorporate uh, contemporaries, to incorporate people who were the same age, uh, same generation as Gabby and myself, working currently. And um, I said before that um, the label kind of relates to both like my personal life and also my life as a listener. So you have like the Safe House cassette, that's the work of um, of uh, Shane English and uh, and Kate uh, Kate DePetris. and um, I had I met Shane. I came into contact with Shane just through the sort of like collectors, uh, sort of like network. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I don't know if um, you had ever checked out uh, Stalking Doopy. It's uh, it was a blog back back in the day when like. <clears throat> Blogs were just firing off. Uh, it was a it was a blog set up by this guy Shane English or um, set up by this guy Sam Ackerman over in Texas, and it focused on like uh, Kanzai post punk and kind of like more like fried outlier techno pop, um, sort of like 
sub, kind of like uh, DD Records, like sub vanity mm-hmm. kind of work. A lot of like flexi, a lot of like flexi post punk. Um, and so I, I became obsessed with that blog. I started corresponding with Sam, and then um, just through the channels, I came in contact with his friend uh, Shane, who was uh, posting on blogs as Soundhead. He also has a, a YouTube channel that's still exact as like Helii. I don't know how to pronounce it, mm-hmm. but he still has his YouTube channel up. And so I got into contact with him, and I started talking to him, and we had a lot of shared musical interests. We talked about like Mask of the Imperial Family, and particularly uh, Underwish Audio Graphics, which is like a sound poetry cassette uh, label um, that uh, Steve um, Steve McCaffrey uh, Steve McCaffrey ran, and he edited it in the '80s. Where I think he eventually turned the reins over to Paul Dolden uh, or Richard Trular. But he, he turned the editorship over eventually. But uh, Shane and I started talking about that. So that's actually how the Safe House cassette came about, through talking about music. Uh, and that was later on how the <clears throat> Three-Legged Race came about, too. Uh, he was talking to Robert Beatty about shared musical interests. Um, so yeah, the safe house that really did come about just through, I guess, a shared interest in collecting music. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, um, the gene pick, it's just, uh, Chris, Chris is somebody, uh, he lived in Philly a couple of years ago. He's moving back in like two weeks. Uh, but I met him through mutual friends and I always just, um, instantly I just sort of was drawn to, to his work a couple of years ago. So that was really uh, it was a pleasure for me to be able to put something out by him. And he's, I mean, his work is exemplary, and he's been doing, uh, he's been getting more and more attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he has an LP, I think he's he's working on an LP, at least, at least one record. He's working on at least one record, and uh, he just has, like, he has a new cassette out on... Um, monorail. On monorail. Track. Yeah. Yeah, that one's really strong, and uh, he did a split cassette on... Uh, on Jack Callahan's imprint, uh, and his track is really, really strong on that one too. So, in a lot of ways, this was really a, a kind of way of joining up and creating a community with like-minded folks, is what you're saying in terms of Vitrine and how it developed quite naturally in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think like you know, with the, um, I guess the sort of meandering point I was trying to get at <clears throat> is that. Um, with that, uh, with that, that, that second batch of cassettes uh, moving out from the core of Gabby and myself, uh, it was important to sort of it was important that that, that um, batch included um, people of like sort of like the same I don't know coming from the same place, uh, same generation, like younger artists mm-hmm. just just starting to put stuff out rather than like an established artist. Um, like recently, like whether it's a three-legged race or a couple up, upcoming cassettes, uh, like an Adam Bowman, uh, who's Adam Bowman's been working since at least since the '80s, uh, with Morphogenesis and uh, done stuff with Dylan Iokis and uh, and others, um, or the the Bolus, and uh, who's like Bolus has been around. He's been around the block mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of distinguished talent. Um, 
but for this like this sort of like for the second batch and the first batch outside of Gabby and me, I did want to have like I don't know people who were yeah contemporary. Sure. Yeah. That's the right word. Yeah. Well, going back to that uh, kind of statement within that comp, you had also mentioned. Uh, the the heyday of male art culture, and you you've already kind of drawn on this idea of that you have a deep interest in that. But is there like a a specific time period uh, labels artists that you really feel like an affinity with when you when you're referencing male art culture? Um, well, I guess when I say heyday, that's a bit that's, that was a bit tongue in cheek because um, I think like I'm not trying to I'm. When I refer back to any like the past or any sort of legacy, I'm not trying to suppose that there's some sort of golden age that's passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to sort of create, a, I want to uh, like suggest a through line um, to the past that there is some sort of like sense of history. Uh, so yeah, no, there definitely are labels and artists who I feel an affinity with, whether it's. Um, sort of more well-known male art uh, labels such as, like, Broken Flag, who um, I think it's kind of... I think Bro- Broken Flag is a really interesting label because, I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of like... They, they loom over a lot of cassette culture. The, the label looms over cassette culture, but with the, I think when the VOD box came out, a sort of, like, vision of Broken Flag... It was just sort of like this one, like, Broken Flag was seen as a certain type of label. It was very, like, hard-edged, tea, very, like, dark mm-hmm. label. But then you, if you look at the label as a whole, uh, and which was something like uh, the first, <clears throat> that issue of, um, have you, you, did you pick up uh, As Loud As Possible when, like, Steve Underwood and Chris Sianko put that out a couple oh, of years ago. I know what you're like, referring to. Yeah, the, perfect like... Perfect bound. It's, like, 300 pages. Right. I don't... Interviews. It has, like, an, a label overview of Broken Flag. And uh, towards the end, it's, like, they were releasing uh, If Bawana, uh Agog, a lot of artists like that who, like, those are, like, more, like, tried-and-true, like, male art mm-hmm. artists. So, um, like, the broad scope of Broken Flag, and also just, like, even the way that the layout for Broken Flag works, where, um, with that sort of, like, real trademark kind of, like, sort of, uh, you know, like, it has that kind of, um, sort of, like, the black, like, sort of, like, borders. That's basically, like, that's very functional, because Mm -hmm. then you can, like, fold the cassette. Right, right. Along those lines. And so I appreciate that sort of, like, that materiality there. But moving out from there, it's um, sort of like a label like Slow Scan. Started out as a cassette label and it's still going strong. Uh, just released a couple uh, vinyl records this year, like the Richard Maxwell and a couple others. Um, those early cassettes, either like um, it's a sound poetry, a specific um, compilation, uh Cassettes with Tom Reshian and uh, like Jad, Tom Reshian and Jad Fair. Um, there's like a, a David Rosenboom, and uh, here I'm like, I, I have them right here. Let's see, it's like yeah, there's a David Rosenboom, and then there's like a there's a Gordon Muma, and the way it kind of like it's still like very like slow scan stuff that's still very um 
I guess sort of like has a kind of DIY aesthetic, but it is, it is like porting its academic work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really, I love that label. Also, um, other labels such as like uh, Quick Stab, Servile Ghost, uh, Underwitch Autographics, definitely auto, uh, Underwitch Audiogra- Audiographics. Um, like those cassettes, like the sort of like the Canadian experimental music, free improv scene, it's, still, it's a gold mine. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of that work still hasn't really been um, given the attention it deserves. Sure. Um, stuff that's either on Underwitch or uh, a vinyl label such as uh, Music Gallery Editions. And attended to that, the Music Works, works cassette magazine. Um, and that's also something that <clears throat> um, isn't really talked about. Like cassette magazines are a real pleasure. Uh, just like something like. Like Music Works is definitely uh, a fantastic one. There's like Mag Magazine. Um, Slow Scan kind of works like that. Even something like, I'm not as crazy about um, how it's curated, but TELUS, TELUS cassettes, things like that. I think a lot of our listeners here are going to be jotting down notes as they're listening through to this. <laughs> things they need to check out. I know I am right now like, hmm, uh, there's a couple things here that I need to be exploring right now at this moment. Yeah, I'm probably going to be butchering um, pronunciations of things, but like, um, <laughs> there's this one, um, Cassande Borse Capulates. It's like a Belgian label. That one's particularly interesting. And, um, or something like, um, okay, if you're talking about like the heyday of male art culture, something that I do really appreciate and that I, f- I still find really inspiring about how male art cassette culture can ideally operate. If you think about something like in the 80s, an artist such as like uh, Mario uh, Mar- Maradosek, right? like you're familiar with him, uh, he recently passed away, um, like a since artist. He was uh, working on the other side of the Iron Curtain, like, getting his work over. And things like that, people who have that sort of, like, that very, like, in the 80s, there was a very strict, well-delineated, like, political line separating people. But through this subterranean culture, this, like, information and art disseminated through cassette tapes, they're able to communicate across language barriers, political barriers and that's that is really that that's what's that's really inspiring to me yeah. that's sort of what that's sort of the the kernel of what i was getting at yeah well i'm kind of taking that idea then i mean how do you see uh like contemporary cassette culture you know now when we are more connected through you know the internet and all these distribution means that way do you still have it seeing that sort of power and potential? I don't know if that's the the right phrasing that I want to get at, but I mean, you seem to have a, a fairly um, optimistic view of, of contemporary cassette culture as a lot of people just kind of poo-poo it, you know, like, uh, why are people listening to tapes now? Is that is that yeah. fair to say? Um, I mean, contemporary cassette culture, I guess it's, it's uh, it can be a bit tricky because there's sort of uh, I guess one could 
always level the, the the argument. One could always say, oh, like, you know, with uh, anyone, you know, cassettes are very, it's they're very cheap to produce. Uh, you can make them very quickly. So um, there isn't necessarily going to be that sort of um, critical apparatus in place. Mm-hmm. That sort of like uh, that quality check. Uh, cassettes might just be turned out, and that's always sort of uh, that's like a very common complaint. It's like, oh, it's just it's another tape, another fucking tape coming out. <laughs> right. uh, but that's you know, I mean, I don't think that 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 doesn't it doesn't have to be that way. I think there are a lot of um, there are there are a lot of interesting things still going on in tape. I mean, I don't know if I'm the most well connected. I like sort of I know the work of the people who I guess I correspond with, but uh. Like, uh, you know, stuff that, like, Johnny Scar is doing with, like, uh, I guess Mantile, I guess that's how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Like, Mantile Tapes. That stuff is really great. Um, trying to think of, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't really follow many cassette labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that there's still, like, there's a lot of potential. I don't know. Well, one, um... You and I had had been in correspondence uh, before this interview, and we were talking about you know how we interact with music, and uh, mentioning how I'll often just buy things on the blind. I won't even listen to sound clips or YouTube clips or anything like that. And I guess some way for me, it's just a, a way to kind of keep some sort of mystery and magic to getting music and listening to it for the first time. And I think there's elements of that at play in how you operate vitrine in terms of uh, you you don't go out of your way to like hype your releases. You don't have a website. You don't, you know, Hey, on social media, the next vitrine releases are coming out. You kind of keep things on a very low, uh, low key, I should say. Um, And is that something that you had considered from the outset with how you wanted to operate vitrine? I mean, you said it was a, a very private, you know, you had hinted at that already. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I considered, I guess it was well considered, it is deliberate, because I just, I have no, personally, I have no interest in promoting the work. I feel like I'm going to be, re- I'm releasing material in micro editions of about, um, hundred. Uh, I know for the comps for map map of the interior, I did two fifty of that. I did one fifty of the three legged race, but I've decided to just sort of I've decided to settle on a hundred hundred copy editions and uh, I communicate I, I correspond with different distros, I get them out and it's a hundred copies and I feel like they they get out, and if people want copies, they're going to be able to find them. I don't have any interest in like going out of my way to stream the material or feature it. At the same time, I don't want to be. I don't want to. Be, I, I have no. I have no uh, desire to be willfully obscure or elitist. Or to keep anything as a secret. So if anybody wants to to write about it, or if they want to feature it, I'm more than happy to give people files, send people material. Uh, and I also I do feel that when I am when I'm working with other artists on the label, like if it's my own material, 
I am a little, I'm a bit more willing to just like let it go out there, send it to the distros, and let what's going to happen happen. But when it is up to the work of other people, like uh, like Robert's work, Three Legged Race, or Ryan's uh, copy metal tape, or Andy's new tape, I feel like it is my duty to get it out there and make certain that like if those those artists who I respect are kind enough to give me material, I want to do it justice and right. make certain that people hear it. But uh, I'm not going to go out of my way with a website or anything else like that. I also I just don't have the time. I work a low-paying, 40-hour-a-week uh, job, and I'm already taxed. Uh, I'm, ar- I'm already sort of uh, pulled to the end of my uh, allowed time mm-hmm. working on the label as is. Uh, I don't really have to more time to do to do it right right well let's get into some uh some stuff that you've released already uh you know some of the recent Uh things or i shouldn't say recent let's get into some of the previous works that you've released up to this point and i wanted to start actually with something from that compilation something from spoils and relics and uh they actually run that mantile label right that uh, you had mentioned previously yeah i believe uh johnny runs that okay and these guys are out of the UK. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of, I, I came, I don't know, I forget how I came across Spoils and Relics, but uh, I think that was, uh, for all of, for all of our talk about kind of remaining a bit, like, sort of under the radar, and, well, that label, Johnny does, like, he doesn't, he doesn't go out of his way to promote anything. He just, he releases things very discreetly. And there are 50, 50, uh, 50 copy editions. I believe of everything he releases, and there's some heavy hitters there. Like he has a, a Mark Durgan, the Mark Durgan and Swells and Relics uh, collaboration mm-hmm. on one of the cassettes, which mm-hmm. is a, like a fantastic. That's a fantastic release. But um, like small run editions, he just puts it up on um, on his very like the very simple website, and he just um, a lot of them are still a lot of a lot of the cassettes are still available, um, which is crazy with the uh, the high quality of the cassettes. But uh, I, I think I just came across Wells and Relics on YouTube, or maybe through the Mark Durgan connection. Um, and so I've been—I I went out of my way to contact uh, Johnny Scar because uh, I really was really taken with the work, and uh, they were kind enough to give me a track for the comp, and uh, where planning on a a vitrine release, a Spoils and Relics release for later on in 2015. Oh, cool. So that's in the works. Uh, still, still, we're still in the early stages of that, but hopefully, you know, right, right. towards the end of the year, we'll be coming out with that. Cool. Well, let's get into this. So this is a track called Infrared Air, and once again, it's from Spoils and Relics.
pose a categorization of gestures based on the means of actions and manipulations of the device and the effects of those manipulations. The vast majority of research and attention focuses on what happens when I shift attention over here to over there and if I'm focusing here so it's basically visual attention and visual attention is focused on experimental endogenous cues words, ideas as pictures present to mind cheap despair of overture it's been a minute it's been a minute did you miss me? This colour is signature to this style.
Well, we had just heard a excerpt from uh, the Good Area tape that you had released, which was the first vitrine release called Anti-P. And uh, I, I just wanted to ask you kind of what is the status of Good Area? Because I know you're doing a lot more work of your own uh, in terms of no intention right now. Yeah. Um, well, there's um, Gabby and I, uh, we still have an LP's worth of material that we want to get out there, uh, which I'm going to be releasing through through Vitrine, um, like our second, like our second and, fi- and terminal LP, um, Macbeth. So basically, we just have um, the project is basically, uh, I guess, finished. Uh, it was kind of a good area. Is very much a sort of interrogation of the domestic space that Gabby and I existed in through the, I guess, through the pretense of us playing music. That's sort of like the conceit. But it was very much sort of like investigation of our sort of personal space. And so, um, yeah, so since since Gabby and I aren't really um, together anymore, so we're not doing the project anymore, but uh, she's still helping me out with a couple layouts layout concerns with the label mm-hmm. and also uh we're working on the finishing up this good area lp which um should be coming out later this year on vitrine uh sean mccann mastered it and that will um most likely be uh the final good area uh recording mm-hmm. well going back to that write-up from uh the map of the interior comp and I feel like half the things I'm asking you are somehow tied to that. So I apologize. But yeah. But, um, you, you had mentioned in there that that tape had focused on artists that, uh, sort of married tape and breath. And you had mentioned that tape prolongs the life of voice, extending it beyond the body into the greater polis. And I was just yeah. wondering that, like that statement, if you feel really kind of gets at, uh, the core of of the work that you're interested in releasing on Vitrine, uh, beyond just that compilation, Th- people who are working with uh, tape works and, and voice to some degree. I would say that it, um, yeah, I, I think that that the the map of the interior press release does provide a bit of like a a compass to the type of work that uh, I'm going to be putting out through the label. And that's the type of work that I'm personally um, inspired by or uh, feel an affinity with. Uh, I don't necessarily feel like uh, I need to stick... Like, I don't feel um, like I need to stick to that sort of rigid type of, um, like, aesthetic. But, um, yeah, it is basically a through line. Um, I... Studied uh, studied poetry in college, and that's still my primary concern: poetry and how it interacts with um, the sound tape, how the voice interacts with tape. It's kind of the um, I think about the sound poetry. I often think about how um, like the difference between the continental continental sound poetry, like uh, work of somebody like Henry Chopin, um, 
versus uh, sort of Western Hemisphere, particularly Canadian sound poetry, uh, like Canadian sound poetry, <clears throat> like Stephen McCaffrey work, work of um, work at the Four Horsemen or um, Owen Sound. That's most of that work, or like PC Fencott. That work uh, is pretty much like straight group interaction. It's, it's communal vocal sound, uh, which I find really interesting, but personally, in terms of, like, my label and my own uh, my own work as no intention, I'm drawn to um, continental work of somebody like Henry Chopin or, um, like, a British um, artist, somebody like, uh, or anything British? I don't even know. Bob, Bob Cobbing? <laughs> Is he a Canadian? Well, Bob Cobbing's work has that sort of, like, he also has sort of like the voice extended through tape, mm-hmm. sort of like this sort of like um, the cybernetic extension of the voice in communication through machinery, like taking the voice and taking taking the voice outside of the body. Sure, like yeah. the voice, which is very, which is something which is very like corporeal, and then taking that and just sort of like extending it into the air, uh, and that is like that is something that. With a label, I, I'm interested in. Right, right. I'm interested in work like that. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the things that you have, like coming out here uh, immediately, and then in, down the road, because you do have two tapes, and and I want to say, are they? Well, let's start with this Copley Metal one. I think that you have it basically set to go. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be shipping. The next batch, the Copley Metal and the Andy Bolas, those are going to be going out to distros within the next week. Okay. And Copley Metal is a project of uh, Ryan Martin, who runs uh, Robert and Leopold, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he runs Ly- Robert. Ro- Robert and Leopold is his um, his personal cassette label, and uh, he's also involved in. Uh, is it Deus? Deus Records, right? Uh, yeah. With Gibby Miller. That's how I met. Ryan, because I used to live in New York City uh, years ago, a couple years ago, and uh, he put out my old band's record, and that's how I met him. Right. Twins, uh, Twin Stumps, right? It was a record that you put out on Deus? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, put, yeah he, he was the first, first person who ever uh, put anything out by me, so cool. still... Coming, really yeah, Ryan. coming, coming full circle. Then you're putting out something from him. Yeah, no, that, it was nice. It was nice for me personally. It meant a lot to me to be able to sort of work with him again in another capacity. Right, right. Well, do you want to uh, mention? I mean, just kind of what these works are, because uh, the Copley Metal. I mean, I know he's done some other things. Uh, he's is in some other projects, but this is solo stuff of his, and then so is the. Yeah, the A Bolus one is solo work too. Do you want to just kind of set these up, and we'll, and then we can spill into some tracks here from these uh, new tapes. Well, I was really, uh, I was really taken with Ryan's cassette, uh, the Mod Decade from last last year, uh, which I thought had a really like, um, I got a copy from him, and um, I was really taken with like strong kind of like gritty, like had a very like psychedelic. Um, Sort of like a swirl to it. It reminded me of like the more sort of like hazy, murky psychedelic side of power electronics. Uh, sort of like 
hole in the heart era Ramla, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, I was really drawn to that on the Mob Decade. So then I contacted him about a vitrine uh, release, and um, the material. I was really taken with the vocals on the Mob Decade and uh, the B side, which actually um, I think we're going to be playing the B side uh, on the show. Uh, that has like a, some nice, like sort of like processed vocals, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I was taken with on uh, the Mob Decade and like the first track, which um, Select Panic, which I, I put up that excerpt on YouTube as sort of like a promo. And that track has a really nice kind of like spacious, uh, very like um, dome sound to it. Which uh, when we did the artwork for the cassette, Ryan gave me an image. And then um, I sort of did a layout for it, and I tried to evoke that kind of, like, austerity that you see in, like, the, the dome. Oh, okay. The dome vinyl. Yep. yep. Right. I can totally yeah, get that with uh, the imagery yeah. of it kind of faded out. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'm really happy with how that tape came out. Like I said, I think there's a lot of um, very spacious, and there's a lot of, it's very, like, it's very open. I think, like, it breathes a lot. Um, the Andy Bolas, um been a been a fan of Evil Moisture for a long time. Uh, particularly, I'm a fan of Olympic Shipman. His work with uh, Mark Durgan, like Durgan is uh, one of like Durgan's work is Putrefire. That's some of my favorite noise work. Um, and the Olympic Shipman stuff, which came out on Mother Savage, uh, it's incredibly versatile. It's very funny, uh, as is a lot of the Evil Moisture material uh and when uh andy sent me the material for uh the solo tape i was really taken back by uh it just i guess it exceeded my expectations uh i mean it, he's a he's a master and i think it's um it's just like an incredible release that has a lot of it moves along and there's a lot of different uh sides to it and i'm just i'm really proud to release that mm-hmm. uh it's when i think I see it as one of the most high-profile releases that I've had the privilege to put out yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, I'm really proud of that one. And and with this newer stuff too, you were kind of uh, alluding to it. Definitely, kind of ramping things up into more of a into the area of noise. Um, you know, maybe yeah. not not maybe not like capital N noise, but uh, it yeah, kind of harkens back to. Uh, yeah, a different era of noise, not uh, like '90s noise per se, or like no, I shouldn't say '90s, but like uh, you know, early aughts, anything like that. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you nailed it there. Like, I do, I did want to sort of draw. I mean, it's still what these the Copy Metal and the Andy Bullis is just like eighth and ninth release, so they still still only have a couple releases under my belt, and I do want to sort of like expand the palette and like the vision of the label and I did want to sort of start to incorporate more of the sort of like the noise which I personally enjoy listening to and find a lot of inspiration from uh Andy Bolas I guess it's more it's not straight up I wouldn't characterize it as harsh more like sort of abstract sort of like junk decollage right right um but it has that the element of a lot of uh, talking to Matthias Anderson, uh, who runs uh, IDDB, and uh, 
Arvin, he, he records with Arvin Milho, who he's on the the map of the interior comp, uh, contributes a really nice track. Uh, he was, he was, I was talking to him and like this here, you'll see a sort of like through line. I always like a lot of the musicians who I'm talking to, I'm just, my correspondence is mostly, uh, centered around listening and collecting music. We were talking <laughs> about like, he was like, yeah, I've been, he was like, I've been obsessed with, he called it like the semi-academic American noise, like nineties noise, something like small, cool party. Oh, okay. And yeah. two, uh, yeast culture. Uh, who is on the comp as well, um, like that type of sound, uh, Studio Worms. Um, and um, I think that the material that Andy gave me is, is closer to that. We are going to, we, uh, it's a royal we, it's just me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the label is going to do um, a Heintoff release, release uh, which I'm excited about. And that's, um, that's Matthias and Dan from Sewer Election, and that's more of the sort of, like, uh, meat and potatoes, like, harsh noise project. Um, they have one track. There's one track they have. Like, the name of it, I think, just, like, perfectly encapsulates what they're going for. It's, like, uh, the track is called, like, We Vote Inca- Inca- Incapacitance. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's going to be a, a bit more sort of... Uh, Harsh noise, but I—I I mean, I don't know. They—I haven't. I'm still talking to them, so I don't—I don't know what material they're going to give me yet. But I'm—I'm I'm excited about that. Cool, cool. Well, let's let's get into this stuff. This is an excerpt here from uh, Copley Middle's new tape.
So I wanted to to talk specifically about your work as no intention here in this segment. And um, in an interview that uh, we had conducted for the the Freeform Freakout website, um, you had stated that Good Area 
uh, has to do more with your experience studying studying and writing poetry uh, than your previous musical work. So I'm wondering with no intention, it seems to be, though I could be wrong, now, hear, now hearing your latest tape, it seems like you're maybe branching away from that slightly, but it seems like um, you know, poetry is clearly, I mean, almost more of a focal point in this solo effort is yours. Is that the, is that the case or is that how you see it? Yeah, well, part of the impetus for Debris Music was that uh, Gabby and I, were, we were going to put out, we wanted, we wanted to put out some tapes. We wanted to do a, a sort of semi-official follow-up to French Antarctica on Graham's label. Uh, and so we did Dilettante cassette and sort of like, we didn't want to just, just release that. So I, I figured I would just sort of do something. Uh, solo as well. Um, so that's kind of how No Intention came about. Um, and since it is just sort of, No Intention is like just, it is a solo project and I studied poetry and that's my main concern, the textual concern. So that's going to come out more in my solo work than when I collaborate with other people. Uh, so it's kind of as simple as that. Mm-hmm. But I would say that even the good area stuff I did with Gabby, um, both of us had a textual concern um, with a lot of the work. Uh, and I think like um, whether it's something more overt, like pronunciation, or um, the upcoming material on uh, the second LP on Macbeth, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely like a sort of sound poetry or at the very least like breath. There's at least a focus on breath um, in the work. With no intention, it is a bit more overt. Uh, not with, with debris music, I kind of like, it's going to be like a really like sort of convoluted roundabout way of saying this. But I remember I was going through like the swill radio uh, sort of online catalog, and Scott mentioned he, Scott had his, he, Scott was writing about the first callback to Giants LP, and Scott said how like what he appreciated about the first callback to Giants was that the way it was sequenced, it it was sequenced, and Scott said it was sequenced in the same way as a record like Eno's Another Green World, where you feel like there are more vocals than there actually are. And so um, with Debris Music, I wanted there to be a vocal element. I wanted there to be like a textual like poetry element. But um, I, I want it to be something, I want it to be a bit sparser. I, want, I wanted the, the vocal element to sort of loom over the remainder of the work. Uh, another sort of Inspiration, something that like I yammer about this as, as an example. It's like uh, sometimes, but like uh, there's a there's a striker track, um, sort of like '90s Australian noise uh, track. There's a striker track called I think like Boot Party. It's just like ten minutes of just like harsh noise, and then at the end it's just like it's just uh, 
you look Zane, and he's just like, boo, party, boo, party. <laughs> he like, sort of like repeats that. And I just, I was listening to it, and I was thinking like, well, how does what you look Zane is saying right here, how does that like go back and alter the experience of listening to the previous 10 minutes? Because like, how is it like you're hearing these vocals at the end, and then it causes you to almost like look back upon what you've just experienced sure, and see right. it in a new light. Um, so that was definitely like, even though there aren't as many vocals on Debris Music as on some other work, that was definitely like a concern for me with that tape. And uh, I, I tried to the best of my ability to create a sort of... Um, sort of like airtight garage within all of my work. Everything relates to everything else. And there's always references throughout. And I try to create like a sort of symmetry with um, the Good Area 7-inch that we did with Graham. It's um, the, the A-side is instrumental, while the B-side is text-based. And then uh, when Matthias was kind enough to put out my solo 7-inch, I tried. I, I flipped it. I intentionally flipped it so that the A side is vocal and the B side is instrumental. Right. And I like how I you like that. And how in that uh, in that track you actually say, "How is this different than Good Area?" <laughs> in, uh, as part of the text in that in your no intention one. And pointing well, out, yeah, it's not that different. <laughs> right, right. I left the ring modulator in the closet for this one, or whatever it is. But, yeah, yeah, because Gabby and I used to keep all of the gear in the closet. It was a real, it was a real beast to get everything out because we would put it all in the closet, and, and then when we would play, we would have to take it all out. It was a really small apartment. Uh, yeah, so I mean, um, I still think that you know, with um, the new. With the tape that Ryan put out, the No Intention tape, with uh, with Plus B, um, there aren't as many vocals, but um, there's definitely, like, there are vocals on every single track somewhere, whether it's, like, Peter Hamill on the first track. Um, the second track has uh, garbled, like, backward vocals uh, from, like, old... I think I, I utilized old, uh, good air, unused, good area practice tracks, mm-hmm. like practice uh, tapes for that track, and I just sort of like mangled them. And then uh, Strange Window is like a sort of a paranoid like vocal track. So I tried to have a sort of like paranoid like weird fiction, Lord Dune Sammy, Clark Ashton Smith kind of like nightmarish troll through like <laughs> my like crappy apartment that I live in right now. Um, and the B-side ends, like, Paisanus Praxi, that ends with me just, like, repeating the name of the title track, which that's, you know, like that striker track, it just, like, it ends with, you have, like, 20-plus minutes, and then it just ends with, like, a vocal. Right, right. More, more like, sort of, um, upcoming work, I am, I'm trying to divest, divest my work even more so from music and sort of like I'm with plus B that was almost like I saw it as like, that's my last, 
attempt. I'm saying this, but like that's my last attempt to like pretend to make music because I don't know how to make music. I don't know how to play any instrument with any sort of proficiency. I don't know how to do anything. It's just I'm going to stop. I mean, you know, I'm just from that was sort of my last go, my final like statement, make, statement <laughs> making music, and I wanted to sort of like strip back from here on out and have more overtly breath and textural work. Sure, right. Tape-based tape work. Well, you're, <clears throat> my, my last question really about No Intention is that you had, had mentioned, and this was back uh, more of a good area piece, but in that Put the Music in its Coffin zine where you guys were interviewed, you had stated that you weren't interested in being a, a diaristic artist, meaning you didn't want to put a lot of stuff out there. And even though your work has this very uh, live uh, feel to it, like, you know, it's captured in a room, you can tell that there's a microphone placement and things going on. It, it seems to me that you you do take a lot of time to consider what it is that you're going to record before you record, that there is quite a bit of, I don't want to say, is editing maybe not the right word, but there's a lot of thought that goes into before you record what it is that you're going to record. Is that a, is that a safe assumption? Yeah, there's a lot of deliberation. Um, I basically, I, I set out for myself some like rough parameters of what I'm going to do before I do it. Um, and I'm not interested in just pressing play and seeing what happens. Uh, there's always there's always a, a conceptual conceit at play mm-hmm. uh, that's sort of mapped out. Maybe it's it's a bit too mapped out. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> well, should we jump into here? Let's play something from your recent tape, and we're going to play an excerpt of a track called "Suicide Blues." That uh, is a pretty lengthy track, actually. But uh, do you want to just set up uh, this track or this, you know, the rest of this tape in general? Okay, well, yeah, uh, Suicide Blues is the, um, it's the lead-off track from Plus B, and uh, I guess with that track, well, I used to, when I was, I used, when I lived in New York, I was in a, I played guitar in a band, uh, Twin Stumps, uh, and that, I, I mean, I don't, I never knew how to play guitar, I don't I sort of figured out how to play certain songs uh, somehow when I was in that band. Uh, and since then, I've, I've forgotten how to do anything. <laughs> but uh, with that the Suicide Blues, I wanted to just have a track where, like I said before, if like Plus B is like my sort of like attempt to work through my sort of work through pretending to play music, that's my sort of track where I'm like pretending to play guitar. Uh, like as somebody who used to play guitar in a band, it's me playing guitar just with rhythm box and short waves. And then eventually I just, in the recording, I just walk away from the room where everything is playing, uh, where I have, uh, let's see, I have Peter Hamill, tra- I have in my bedroom, and then I walk, I walk down from my, my sort of attic studio at my apartment to my bedroom where I had uh, Peter Hamill 
I had a, a track from a Peter Hamill record, I think from PH, which is a really fantastic Peter Hamill record. It's one of the best Peter Hamill records, like up there with like Future Now mm-hmm. and Black Box. Uh, I had that playing, and I just like I have my uh, stereo system, my like Tower of Power. It's like set up on a perilous floor here. It's sort of uneven floorboards. So I just um, as tracks as the record was was spinning, I kept stomping on the ground, and so the needle just jumps up, <laughs> jumps up, and like moves throughout the record. I was gonna say that I was impressed when you said hey, you had Peter Hamill singing on that track. I was like, "Wow, that's pretty amazing." Yeah, we're just old friends. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, though. So you capture all of that, the the sound of that kind of through the floorboards, essentially. Uh, well, I mean, I I took the recorder right up to my speaker, but I was just I was stomping on the store oh, okay. on, on the on the floorboards. So that's uh, then the it's sort of like the vibration went through um onto the turntable and just like caused the uh the needle to skip okay okay mm-hmm. all right well let's see if we can kind of piece this all together here in this excerpt of uh, suicide blues from uh, no intention <laughs> Thank you. 
favorite of all time. Say you'll stay. Oh, make it in the
thank Alan for taking the time to speak with us this week on this edition of the show and uh, for providing some of these tracks to play for you. If you're interested in tracking down some of these vitrine titles, you can check out some distros like Little Big Chief Records, uh, Crisis of Taste, Fusetron, Swill Radio, Hanson, and if you're in the UK, you can head over to Infinite Limits. And I'll also put links up on the uh, Freeform Freakout website if you'd like to head there. And you can also check out uh, the playlist and all the artists, once again, who are included in this show. But if you have any questions for me, you can always get in touch at fffreakout at hotmail.com. We'll be back in two to three weeks with another new show. And I have uh, lots and lots of new stuff that's piling up. Tons of new tapes to play, some singles uh, that span. Basically, we have stuff across every format. <laughs> but uh, thanks so much for listening. Check back with us in again in a couple couple weeks.